0: Well, good morning. When you were growing up, did your mom ever say to you, if you keep crossing your eyes, they're going to get stuck that way? Or they said, if you uh, touch a frog, you might get warts? Or my favorite, if you drink coffee, it'll stunt your growth. I think I should be eight feet tall by now, I think. but Well, what was the purpose of these, let's call them uh, little proverbial lies? They're to convince a child to not roll their eyes, to convince a child that you should not touch a frog. They were little phrases that would pop up in our mind the moment we saw a cup of coffee or the moment we wanted to cross our eyes or roll our eyes. We think, oh, if I cross my eyes right now, what my mom said is going to happen to me, they're going to get stuck. They provoke a little bit of fear in us. Well, today's passage in Acts 20 contains a scene, a story that every preacher loves just how moms love those little proverbs. Our passage today shows that paying attention to a sermon might be a matter of life and death for you. And falling asleep during a sermon may bring about mortal consequences. If you have your Bible, open up to Acts chapter 20. We'll be reading verses 1 through 16. If you have A Bible open there. If you don't, grab one of those Bibles in front of you or below you. It's on page 929. Let's continue in our series through the book of Acts. This is the word of the Lord. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he'd gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Piraeus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Titicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed, ahead, uh, sailed away from Philippi after the days of the unleavened bread. And in five days, we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart to the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room when we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms says, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them for a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Ossus, intending to take Paul aboard there. For he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day, opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos. And the next day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, awaken our minds and hearts to hear your word this morning. Spirit, help us. Amen. Well, after the reading of that passage, we might have a bit more built-in incentive to pay attention to the sermon today. Just how your mom says, don't roll your eyes, and they they might get stuck. The preacher may say, don't fall asleep during the sermon, or you may not wake up but we care so much about your safety, we built a one-story church. <laughs> now, this is an interesting passage. In the English translations we have, there are three paragraphs. The first paragraph shares a bunch of information about where Paul traveled to and who he was with. The, the middle section there talks about the young man who falls off the third story during a sermon. And the third paragraph, again, shares more details about where Paul travels to. This is kind of like a travel diary. It's important history. It's good to know where Paul was and what year it was at, what cities, but let's be honest, what's the point for us? This just seems like a bunch of facts, and I don't believe the main point of the sermon is to necessarily stay awake during the sermon, though for some of you that might be a good takeaway. But rather, I believe this passage is about encouragement, encouragement, Encouragement. It's about the calling that every Christian has to encourage one another. Now, where do I see this theme? Well, we see it in verse 1, verse 2, and verse 12. In all those, we read of how churches and people are deeply encouraged and comforted and strengthened by Paul. And this passage is communicating that Christians are called to encourage one another, for this is the way of Christ. And this is the main point of this passage and the main point of this sermon. So here's what I want to say to you this morning is this. CVBC, look around you right now. These are the people the Lord has given you to encourage. It's that simple. Church, CVBC, look around you right now. These are the people the Lord has given you to encourage. Now in our passage, Paul goes to several places, Macedonia, Greece, Troas, Philippi, Assos, Mytilene, Samos, Miletus, and these are just cities on paper for us, but for Paul, these are places full of people he absolutely loves and adores. Most of these places are places he's been to, he's spent time in, he planted churches there, his church families are in this city, and in verse 4, it mentions some of his beloved friends who traveled with him. Sopater, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius, Timothy, Tishikas, and Trophimus. These men were from different regions, different cities. These men were all from different backgrounds, and yet they were dear friends of Paul. They were the spiritual family members of Paul, men he probably converted, men he planted churches with. And this passage is almost Paul's diary of a family reunion, right? He stops in cities, he stops at churches, and he loves to say hi to them and encourage them. I remember growing up, I have memories of being in the car with my parents and my grandparents, and they would take us on drives and show us, hey, we used to live in this house, or your aunt so-and-so lived over there, that's the grocery store we used to go to, here's the restaurant we used to go to after church on Sundays, kind of taking me on a trip down memory lane. Maybe you've had those experiences. Well, that's what Paul is doing right here with his friends. Taking them on a journey on ships to go visit the people and visit the churches he loved. And he's stopping at each city, stopping at each church to encourage them and show them that they matter to him. That's what this passage is all about. And it's honestly kind of refreshing. Because we are living in a plague. We're living in a pandemic. And I'm not even referring to COVID. I'm referring to the pandemic and the plague of loneliness. 35.6% of the world population is on Facebook. 2.89 billion people of 7.8 billion people on this earth are on Facebook. If you add on Instagram and Twitter, over half of the world population is on social media. Almost 4 billion people connected online. If you're like me, you might have two or three email accounts. You have unlimited texting on your phone. You're always reachable wherever you go. And yet we are probably the loneliest people in the history of the world. There are so many surveys out there about the lack of friendships and the And the longings for community and how there's increase of isolation and depression. And these surveys were done, by the way, before coronavirus was a thing and you had to stay home. One insurance company surveyed 20,000 adults and 54% of them says, I don't think anyone really knows me outside of my family. 54%. 40% of them said their relationships aren't meaningful We have 400 friends on Facebook, and yet we are lonely. We are so connected to so many people through our phone, and yet we are the most socially disconnected people on the planet. We have traded in true friendship, true companionship, true vulnerability for socially distant relationships. And we will suffer for it, and we are suffering for it. But Paul here does the opposite of what we tend to do. He actually at times travels by foot or goes on a boat to go be with his people. Why? To encourage them and love them, to make them feel like Paul loves them. And in our world, we're missing out on this. We have so many acquaintances and phone contacts, and yet we don't have anyone in our lives or in our church who actually know us. We don't really have those people who we know come shoulder to shoulder with us and have our backs. But I think, and I believe, by the Spirit, we can imitate Paul a lot here. And we as a church, as C B C, we can attack and infiltrate the isolation and depression and loneliness with our friendship and with our encouragement. Now, all of the introverted people here are cowering in fear right now. I'm not saying when you walk in this building, you need to be hugged by everybody and ask 20 questions before you get your coffee, Okay. What No, what I'm saying is I pray that this church right here, this people right here becomes a place where every single person feels like they matter to God and matter to everyone else. Look at the first three verses. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he'd gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece, and there he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Now, twice in two verses there, it mentions encouragement, and we're going to look at that specific word in a moment. But in verse 2, it says the phrase, when he'd gone through those regions... And if you read 2 Corinthians and you read some of the other New Testament letters, you can kind of piece together his diary and his history. Well, that phrase, when he'd gone through those regions, most likely covers one and a half years of time. Just a couple words for us. But this is a year and a half where Paul is stopping in this city, in this region, to pursue them out of love. And then just a little bit later... He's spending three months in Greece, it mentions. So this is not just a half-day trip. I'm going to come in and say hi and leave. This is Paul saying, I'm going to come here, and I'm going to encourage you thoroughly. I'm going to give up my life to come to you and make sure that you know that you matter. That was Paul's goal for this trip. He didn't plant churches on this trip. He encouraged churches. So I think we need to stop and ask a very simple question. What is encouragement? What is Christian encouragement? Because the word encourage is mentioned twice in verse 1, and it's mentioned in verse 2. And in verse 12, it mentions the word comforted. But the word encourage and comfort in English come from the same Greek word, right? So the New Testament, what we're reading here, originally written in the language Greek. And these three words, encourage, encourage, and comfort, all flow from the same root word. And the Greek word is paraklesis. Now, often we don't really like to talk about Greek up here because you can get lost in the weeds and the trenches of it, but this is an interesting word, paraclesis. It's a combination of two words, para, which means to come alongside of someone, to be at someone's next shoulder, okay? It's like coming shoulder to shoulder and be like, I'm going to be next to you, come beside you. Some of you uh, have a job where you're called a para in a school. You come alongside of students or teachers to help and shoulder their burdens, And kaleo, the second word of paraklesis, kaleo means to call, to call out to someone. So literally what this word means is, I'm going to come to the side of you and call out to you. I'm going to come next to you and walk with you and be the one calling out to you to encourage you. It means to encourage, to comfort. It's not someone standing a mile away saying, I care about you it's someone sprinting the mile to be next to you and say i care about you calling out to them saying that they matter calling out to help them encouragement is coming alongside of someone to this word periclesis, is found throughout the new testament and it's the same word that jesus uses for the holy spirit in john 14 and john 15 Jesus is about to leave. He's about to die, going to resurrect. But he tells the disciples, I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you an encourager. And that's the same word that's used here of Paul. So if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And Jesus calls him the encourager, capital E, encourager, the helper, the advocate. And what does the Spirit do in your life? Yes, he teaches you. Yes, he guides you. But ultimately, what does the Holy Spirit do? He continually reminds you and delivers to you the love and comfort of God. That's his main goal. He reminds you of who you are in Jesus. He encourages you to tell you who you truly are in Jesus, that you have an abundant life in him. So the Spirit is the one who comes alongside of you and calls out the encouraging truths of the gospel to you. So the same way that the Spirit does that to you, Paul does that to other believers. He comes alongside them to strengthen them, to show them they matter, to show them he loves them, to keep them faithful towards Jesus. So when sickness hits, or persecution, or disappointments in life, they have someone next to them showing them Jesus. That's encouragement. It's coming alongside of someone to show them that they matter to God and that they matter to you come alongside saying, I'm going to walk with you through this and remind you how valuable you are. And the Lord of the Rings in the third, bur- third book, J.R. Tolkien, he's telling the story about this young man named Frodo who has to destroy this ring at Mount Doom. And this ring, it's a real ring, but it really represents evil and suffering and sin. And over these three books, he's carrying this ring to go destroy it. But what happens is people begin to try to attack him to steal the ring. And he begins to feel an emotional and physical burden and turmoil. And it gets to the point where he actually collapses and is unable to climb up the mountain to destroy this ring. But his faithful and his trustworthy friend, Samwise Gamgee, picks up Frodo. Odo, 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 Odo. But I can carry you. And that is encouragement. No one can stand fully in our shoes, but someone in their shoes can stand next to us and carry us through life. We need someone to come next to us and show us that we matter and that we don't have to do anything in life alone. And at times, this looks like us cheering on one another as good things happen in life. It is celebrating with someone when they're blessed in life, when they have a promotion or they're retiring or they have a grandchild. It's us coming alongside of them, cheering them on, praising the Lord. At times, encouragement looks like us holding someone or hugging someone who can barely stand on their own because they have cancer, because they've lost their spouse or they're in despair. Encouragement looks like us saying, you will not handle this on your own. Put your full weight on me. Encouragement looks like pushing someone else to Christ. Maybe you want to read your Bible every day and you need someone to encourage you by calling you and saying, you need to read today. Encouragement can look like a lot of things. But overall, we need to understand that we are called as Christians to actively encourage. But the exciting scene here is verses 7 to 12. This young man, Eutychus, falling out of a third-story house. It seems a bit odd and it seems a bit randomly placed here. It says in verse 7 that on the first day of the week, which by the way is Sunday here, Paul and the church in Troas gathered together. And By the way, this is the first reference to the church's meeting on Sundays. They're they're breaking bread, and Paul was teaching the language of breaking bread in the Bible. Yes, it sometimes literally means the breaking of bread, having a meal, having a lunch, having a dinner. But here it often refers to taking the Lord's Supper, which we did earlier, which means there was a worship service going on. So Paul probably brings them this bread and breaks the bread and leads them in communion, and then he begins to teach them. And it says he was teaching until midnight in verse 7. Now, most likely this service started probably around dinner, so he might be four, five, six hours in to this sermon. And he preaches so long that this young man, Eutychus, falls asleep as he sits next to a window. And he falls out, down three stories, and it says he died. Now, Paul stops preaching, which is probably a good move, and he goes down the stairs And he takes this young man up in his arms and he says, don't be alarmed, he is alive. God uses the caring heart of Paul in lifting this young man to resurrect him back to life and then what happens? Paul goes back up and he keeps preaching. This is encouragement in Christ. It is taking your brother or your sister in Christ in your arms and carrying them if you have to. It is bringing them back to life. Now, I don't mean physically. I don't think we're going to find ourselves in this situation where we're going to have this power opportunity for the miracle of God. But what I mean is you're going to be able to take the gospel and the rich truths of the word to one another to show them the life that they have in Jesus. You're going to be able to take your brother or your sister when they're struggling, when they're hurt, when they're in pain, and you can carry them and you can show them the grace and the love and the truth of Jesus. This young man went from physical death to physical life and we as the sp- spiritual family get to talk about going from spiritual death to spiritual life. We get to take each other in our arms and say, Jesus loves you. He saved you. You at times are going to be like Paul and your friends are going to be like Eutychus. And sometimes you're going to be like Eutychus and your friends going to be like Paul. I love this phrase in verse 12 at the end. It says, it says and they were not a little comforted. In other words, they were comforted a lot. What if you felt this truly in this church, by our people here, that you were comforted and you were encouraged by your brothers and sisters, that you feel, like you really feel that you matter to us and you matter to God? Because Christian, listen here, child of God, do you know how much you matter to God? I want to read a few verses from Romans 8, and this is what Jesus says about you. And whatever insecurities are in your mind right now, as you're preparing yourself, no matter what condemnation you're thinking about yourself, you're going to have excuses to say, this is not about me. You're wrong. If you're a Christian, this is you. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is how much you matter to God. That he would send Jesus, his only son, to die for you. Not to spare his life, but to give him up for you. You matter to God. And whatever you face in life, tribulation or distress or famine or danger, none of that can separate you from God. Your past doesn't wipe away God's love for you. Your failures in life today, your inadequacies, your weaknesses, those things do not take the smile of God away from you. Actually, they make him pursue you more. Death, nor life, nor angels, nor powers, nor anything in this universe can stop you from mattering to God. And that's for you, Christian. And you know that my calling as your brother in Christ is to remind you constantly of those truths. That you matter so much to God that he sent Jesus to die for you, and that means that you matter to me. I will lay my life down for you if I have to, because you matter to God and you matter to me. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, you don't know his encouragement and his mercy, you don't know that you matter to him, well, this morning you can see it. You can receive his forgiveness for your sin. You can receive mercy. You can receive the value that he has for you, and it's a free gift. And our job as the corporate body here, all of us together, is to encourage one another in these truths. To make sure that everyone here knows of God's love for them and our love for them. That whether they are celebrating or mourning, rejoicing or crying, that we have their back. That whether they are caught in sin or whether they are obeying Christ, we have their back. Paul traveled from city to city, from church to church, To show these churches that they matter to God and to Him and we can do the same. We can be all out encouraging. We can rejoice in each other. We can push each other to Christ. We can shoulder each other's burdens. We can actually be the people that the Word of God has called us to be. But how do we do that authentically? Right, Because true encouragement is sincere and is from the heart. Now you can go to a a marathon, and you can watch people run. And you can cheer for them, and you can shout at them, and all these things, but you don't know them. It's kind of fun to do that. It might make them smile, but what's really encouraging is if you see your friend who's running, struggling at mile 25, and you run with them for the last 1.2 miles, that is encouragement. That is shouldering their burden. That is showing them that they matter to you, and that's stronger than a stranger's applause. So how can you be an encourager here at CBC? How do you encourage your family at CBC? Essentially, I'm asking you this question. How can you show others here that they matter to God and they matter to you? There's three things in our text. First is you need to gather with your family. Gather with your family. Though this text begins with what looks like a lot of travel details, right? Paul went here, he sailed there, he traveled by land to there. But as we said before, there are weeks and months and years packed into those little phrases. He started these churches, he built them up. Now on his return visit, he's spending months pouring into his people and he gathers with them at church. And in verse 7, it says Paul's gathering with the local church in Troas to take the Lord's Supper and to bring the word of God. We can't encourage one another if we aren't gathering together. Have you ever been to a a family reunion or Thanksgiving and your mom says, Hey, Uncle Carl's coming by. And you look around and you're like, Who's Uncle Carl? He's like the uncle who's twice removed on your mother's side, comes like every 20 years. Well, Uncle Carl doesn't motivate you to come to Thanksgiving. It's your siblings, it's your parents, it's your grandparents, the people you spend time with. That's what motivates you to get there. And it's the same here. We have the privilege to not gather as these distant acquaintances or these distant relatives. We have the privilege to gather as family, and that should motivate us to keep on coming. And do you know what means the world to me? When we are singing, I often love to to turn around to see you all. Now, obviously, as I'm preaching, I see you all. When we take the Lord's Supper, I look around, I see us all taking the cup and the bread together. And when I'm doing those things, when we're singing, when we're preaching, when we're taking the word, uh, the, 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 uh, the elements of communion, I look around because I look around and I see that's my family. These are people who've been saved by Christ and are committing to holding me up when I can't hold myself up. And those are the people I'm going to hold up when they can't hold themselves up. So we look around, we see each other, we see faces, we see histories, we see people, but they are our family. And what means the world to me is that you got out of bed this morning and you drove to church and that shows me that I matter to you. It tells me that I matter enough to you that you will come and worship Jesus with me. We often think attending church is just like any other task we have. It's showing up. But in reality, when you show up to church, you are encouraging everyone who also showed up to church. We're coming around the table of Jesus together and we don't want empty spots. When you're gone, we miss you. We miss out on you. And you may think, I don't bring anything to the table. I don't even sing loud. But when I see your face, I say, oh, she loves Jesus. He loves Jesus. And they could have been anywhere else. They could have been sleeping at home, watching TV. They could have been out at brunch. But they said, I'm going to gather with my family this morning, and that means the world to me. So when you are sitting there, when you are singing, when you're taking the Lord's Supper, you are saying to me, you matter so much to me that I'm here to worship with you, to hug you, to pray with you, to sit near you after you had a rough week, to hear the word of God together. We are here together. And and leaving this place and walking through those doors into the lobby or the foyer or the narthex, who knows what it's called, and asking them about their week Asking them how you can pray for them. Telling them you're thankful for them. Now those small talk conversations in the lobby, they're actually not that small. They communicate, you matter to me. So inviting someone out for coffee or to your house or to go on a walk, that's saying, you matter to me. So gather with your family. Get to know each other so you can encourage each other specifically. So walk out of the sanctuary this morning with the soul thought All of these people matter to God, so they matter to me. How can I show them that? Your family needs you here each week. Second way that you can show others they matter to God and to you is to practically love one another. Practically love one another. How did Paul encourage the church at Troas when Eutychus fell out of a window? He walked down the stairs, and he picked up the boy and brought him to life. Now, we're not going to probably find ourselves in that situation, but don't look past the practical details here. He literally walked down the stairs, and he literally lifted up this boy, and he literally carried this boy. And one of the ways that we encourage each other is by doing that same thing, by practically seeing a need, a problem, And doing something about it, using your time or your skills or your money or your hands or your mind to encourage someone. Looking back at the last three years of being here at CBBC, I've been encouraged by so many of you that I can't even describe. But here's some examples. A team of you painted the entire inside of our house, remodeled a bathroom, laid new floor, all before we even moved here, before you even knew if you liked me or not. That communicated to us that we mattered to you. On numerous occasions, many of you have come to my re- to rescue, rescue me with my many car problems. Jumping my car, giving me a ride to church, letting me borrow a car. This communicates to me that I matter to you. Many of you have filled our pantry at home and our fridge with meals. And this shows us we matter to you. I've received gifts like handwritten notes and Presidential bobbleheads and snow globes, 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 and emails of encouragement of prayers almost every week, and those make my heart warm because this shows I matter to you. So, how can we demonstrate our love for one another practically? Is there someone here you know who's hurting or struggling? Can you send them a note? Can you love them with your handwriting? Can you buy them a coffee? Is there someone here you admire and you respect? Tell them. Think about it. If you look at someone and you think, oh, I love that she's always like that. Or I love this about him. You know what? What if you told that person that? Does someone need help moving or fixing something? Show them they matter by jumping in to take the lead even on a Saturday. Carry one Another. But finally, the last way to show people they matter to God and they matter to you is to show them Jesus. And that seems cliche, seems like a Christian phrase but I mean it, right? Paul taught for hours in this church at Troas. That's what Paul did. Church to church, city to city, speaking about Jesus. So Christian, keep talking and teaching and imitating Jesus to us. When I am suffering, I need you to bring the sweet medicine of Jesus to me, to tell me that Jesus will carry my burden. Come to me, And pray that Jesus will intervene in my life. When I am in sin, bring the conviction and the forgiveness of Jesus to me. All of that is encouragement. You love me enough to call me out when I need it. You love me enough to comfort me when I'm hurting. So Christian, you need to read your Bible. You need to read about Jesus. You need to obey the commands of Scripture because you need it, but also because I need it. Jesus uses what he teaches you to teach me. When you show me what it's like to endure suffering with joy, what's that going to do when I go through suffering? I might need you to show me Jesus. I need you to talk about Jesus to me. Yes, I want to talk about the game. I want to talk about the weather. I do. But I also want you to take me to Jesus. Encouragement looks like pushing one another toward a goal. And Christian, our goal should be to be more and more like Jesus. So I would encourage you to have one or two or three people in your life that you can talk to Jesus, talk about Jesus with. Like maybe you get together once a week, twice a month, once a month, and you literally open a Bible and you read together, pushing each other towards Jesus. And if you want that and you don't know where to start, go to this um, ministry table out there. There's Bible studies in there. But if you're like, I want one or two guys or one or two girls to do this with, come find me, make a note, write it somewhere, give it to me. We will find someone for this to happen. Because what we get to do as a church is we get to take the Bible and the truth of God's love and deliver it to each other. We get to show Jesus to each other and that's a calling and a privilege. So CPC, we can be a place that just screams encouragement. Where we walk shoulder to shoulder together smiling, knowing that God loves us and that my people love me, and I love my people. right? Because this world is full of brokenness and false promises and letdowns, and this world says you have to earn your place, earn our spot, but this is the church, the family of God, and you matter to God forever, so you matter to us forever. And if God wouldn't even dare to spare His Son, we won't dare give up on you. You matter to God, and you matter to us. Let's pray. Father, we ask you as individuals to overwhelm us with the love you have for us. We all come with doubts of that. We all come with excuses for why you don't love us. We all come with sin. And Lord, we ask you to overwhelm us with your love to remind us that we matter to you. And Lord, as a body, as a whole, as all of us gathering together right now as family, I pray you overwhelm this even environment with a sense of your love that we will know we matter to one another and we will never stop loving each other passionately. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice and your grace. We don't deserve it, but you lavish it on us. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.